0: Well, I was headed toward talking about being a wife and mother uh, in the future, as well as now, last week, and I kind of got sidetracked on 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks a great deal about the time of distress, the time of the end, and the church at that time, when he wrote 1 Corinthians 7, was also facing a great deal of persecution and martyrdom, as the end of that church age was coming to pass. And God preserved that for us because we also are at a time when the end of the age, the end of this world, is coming to pass. The world is going to suffer great decimation. About 90% of the people of this earth will die shortly. And 90% of Americans or more are also going to die. It is going to be a very troublesome time that we are entering in, and there is no getting away from it. There is no denying it. There is no escape from it, except and unless we are counted worthy by God to go to a place where we will be safe and protected from it. So what Paul wrote, though it may not have been something God... uh, wrote like the Ten Commandments. It was good fatherly advice that Paul was giving to the church, and he said he had the mind and the spirit of God. Now, I know that the comments I made in reading 1 Corinthians 7, and not just the comments I made, but what Paul himself said here, which is preserved by God for us, uh, upset some, Uh, It was not something that you particularly may have wanted to hear. In fact, I think it was one of those cases, somebody says, or there's an old saying, you only hear what you want to hear. I think it was a little different in this case. You may have only heard what you didn't want to hear. (laughs) Uh, But I want to make a few more comments along these lines today. And that is that we are in a circumstance in the church where we, by God's word and by his will and purpose, we are not allowed to marry or date outside the church. And even within the church itself, uh, there is so much difference in belief, understanding and focus that you can't just go to a feast site of some other group and find somebody that's going to see things the way you do so there is a spiritual compatibility issue that becomes important. And I know that over the course of the last ten years or so, there have been a few here who have tried to get something going with someone else who might have been mentally, emotionally, physically compatible in many respects, but they had a different view of a lot of doctrines and focus that we ought to have our minds on And it led to a circumstance that just couldn't work, didn't work, uh, wouldn't work out. Just too many differences. So this is the circumstance that we find ourselves in because of the end of the age, because of the scattering in the church, because of a lot of different forces that we are living with and facing. And those we simply right now cannot change. So that is the circumstance we find ourselves in. And Paul is discussing that. Now, should I not read 1 Corinthians 7? What parts of the Bible would you not have me read? Uh, we had a circumstance some time back when we were studying the order of the foot washing Uh, and the Passover, and Luke made it very clear that it should be one way where some of the other Gospels were uh, not quite as clear in what the circumstance was, but Luke clarified it. Well, a minister who is in good reputation in some areas of the church said, you simply cannot depend on Luke. We have to throw the book of Luke and his account out because he was not an eyewitness. So if something in Scripture disagrees with the way you are thinking, what do you do? Do you find a way to dismiss that part of Scripture? The same individual and others, when we did the study in Pas- on Passover, and realized that we were not keeping the Passover and the holy days and the correct sequence, simply threw out a very, very important part of Scripture, Deuteronomy 16. It did not fit with what had been the traditional church view, since Herbert Armstrong studied it out, of many decades. So the assumption was made that somewhere, and they didn't know where or when, one, of, one pastor even wrote a very thick book on the Passover, and he was one of those who said this must have been messed up by some Jewish scholar sometime in the murky, dark, dank recesses of history, because it does not fit with my view of the Passover. Now several did that, Are we to throw Deuteronomy 16 out because it doesn't agree, or are we going to say, well, that must have been messed with? That's a Protestant approach. They've thrown out essentially all the Old Testament except Psalms and Proverbs because they're nice poetry, and they keep only the New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, and then most of them have thrown out most of the New Testament. So they only have 10, 15, 20, 40, if you push it, 100 scriptures that they read and like. And most of the rest they don't want to hear about. Now we could take a poll. We could make the Bible far simpler than it is. We could take a poll here and see what part you would like left out and not read. And if we had enough people, we could throw the whole book out because there'd be something somewhere here that, in a large group of people, there'd be part of, every part of this, someone would not like. Now, I think we have to understand that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for instruction in righteousness, and the four things that that Paul mentions. It's all from God. And yes, there are little translation errors here and there. The 1 Corinthians 7 is not one of them. This is pretty direct, pretty straightforward. Now, it was not intended to hurt you. It was not intended to deny you anything. It was intended to explain that we're in very troubling times and that our focus needs to be on God. And if our focus is on anything else, it will take away from that. Now, let's understand that, and and I'm not just speaking to a small group of people here, I think about half the church here, I didn't really count it up, but is single, whether they're young or old, and face living alone. Now, that is not a fun thought. It is not a fun circumstance. It can be very discouraging, depressing, frustrating, even if you're not old enough to marry. It is still the idea that maybe someday that would not be there as an availability or a process. Now, I went through that as a kid. Early in the church, we were told that the tribulation would start in 1972 and Christ would be here by 1975. That was what was going around. And as I was growing up as a teenager, I faced the same circumstance mentally and emotionally that you who are single today are facing, because I figured that I would never have opportunity to grow up, to be married, to have a family, and all of those things that you today are wrestling with. So I grew up with that, been there, done that. And I know that it was, at times, very depressing and discouraging and frustrating, and yet, on the other hand, I wanted to see all these end-time events occur. So it was kind of a mixed bag, if you will. Now, consider, this is a circumstance that currently, not much can be done about, if anything, because of the circumstance in the church. So... If you focus on the subject of being single and being alone and being lonely and all of those things, all it does is what? Make you miserable. And the more you think about it, the more you worry about it, the more miserable you get. And the lo- more lonely and self-centered you get. That is what happens when you focus on what you want or need and you have not learned to look outward and upward and focus on other things when there is no current answer in any case. So we frustrate ourselves is what we do if we're in that circumstance, and what we have to do is find a different focus than just that. Now, I realize that marriage is a state that God created, and it's a good and wonderful thing, used properly. Sometimes being married can be worse than being single. I had someone admit that to me one time, who had been single for a long time, and depressed and discouraged and frustrated, had been living his whole life in absolute misery, Uh, threatening suicide, all kinds of emotional turmoil that that individual had gone through and could not succeed, couldn't do this, couldn't do that because I'm so lonely and single and I'm just miserable. And that went on for 30, 40 some odd years. I don't remember how long. And then he found an old gal that he decided he'd marry. So they got married. And they chased each other around the place with 30-30s for a year or two or three or four and got divorced. And that individual then told me at a certain juncture, you know, I thought being single was the most miserable existence on earth. But I have found that marriage can be worse. Now, not everybody has that experience, I know, that's a little bit dramatic and perhaps unusual, but don't think marriage alone is going to solve all your problems. Married people have problems too, and single or unmarried, we tend to focus on ourselves and get self-centered and what we want and how we want things to be, and we, single or married, can make ourselves miserable by focusing on me and what I want. So there comes a time where you have to face the circumstances as they are, realize we are in a present distress situation, and that things may not change immediately. So instead of focusing there, it is better to get your mind somewhere else. Work, hobby, study, seek God above all, and there's where the answers are. Now, I was not saying that at some time in the future, near future, there might be not that, that there might not be opportunity for marriage for some of us. There may be. When God begins to protect the remnant, there will be a period, I believe, of time to build a temple, a period of time to build the walls of Jerusalem of about 70 weeks, And then comes the Great Tribulation and going to a place of safety for three and a half years. So there could be a period of time of, I would say, up to seven years, could even be a little longer before Christ returns, from the time that these events begin to happen, that those who are accounted worthy will be set aside for a specific job and we may not be under the same distress we're about to come under, and that the rest of the church will be under of persecution and martyrdom. The remnant will be protected to do a job. Now, I'm not saying yea or nay about opportunities for marriage at that point, but it is a possibility. And since there will be a gathering, there would be candidates who agreed on essentially everything that we agree on today, plus more that we will learn. So I was not trying to take our hope away. I was trying to get us to focus on God and the things of God, because he is the one who can account us worthy to escape, can make us a part of a very glorious opportunity to set a light to the world, And it's a better way to think and go than just to focus on, I want to get married. If you do that, you will make yourself miserable, and you will have trouble in the flesh, as Paul put it, even if you get married. Well, maybe there were more around in those churches at that time to marry. Right now, we just don't have many options anyway. So why worry about something you can't fix? Do we trust God? Do we put him first? And are the things of God the main thing on our mind? Let's go back. I want to tie in Philippians 4 here. Interestingly, part of it was the last part of the sermonette. I already planned to go here, so I will. A little different direction. But let's start in about... Verse 6 of Philippians 4, he says, Be anxious for nothing. Now, human beings can be anxious in a lot of different ways for a lot of different reasons. Uh, We have our insecurities about this, we worry about that, and this issue of having to live single or be married is one of the things we get anxious and worried and concerned about. And in a sense, rightfully so, because it's a natural thing that simply cannot proceed under these conditions. There are a lot of people who are going to see that they cannot proceed with whatever focus in life they have made, whatever part of the earth they're on. It is going to change dramatically very shortly. So he says to us who understand God, be anxious for nothing, and this is similar to what Christ said, not to be worrying about the things of today, or to be uh, nervous, or anxious, or worry about things, but to trust him. Paul is saying the same thing here. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now he's talking here about our attitude and our approach to God. We're not to worry about things, or to be unduly concerned, But we're to look to God in prayer and supplication. Supplication means we go before him and we do it on a fairly frequent basis to seek his input, to seek his direction, to seek his wisdom. Now, part of his wisdom is given to us in 1 Corinthians 7. And it is part of that scripture which is good for us to consider because it might help us not make some Mistakes in our lives, and marriage at some point could be a mistake. It could be a mistake. Because it might turn your focus from where God is and cause you to go into this world into persecution and martyrdom. So if that's your focus, it could get you in trouble. But this supplication should be accompanied with thanksgiving, not whining, not murmuring, not complaining about the state we find ourselves in, but with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So when we approach God, we should thank him for all the good things he does for us, for life and breath and food and uh, everything good that is here, that he has made, and even specific blessings that God might have given us. And if we have a request... Make that request to God in thanksgiving. Always maintaining that God knows best for the world. God knows best for you and for me. He takes everything into account. Now we don't. We often take into account how we feel. We often take into account what we think we're missing. We often take into account the things we want but we don't understand or even know all the dynamics that God is dealing with in our lives. He knows everything about us, and he knows us far better than we know ourselves. So if we think for a moment that God doesn't understand, we don't get it. He understands completely. He knows every hair on your head, And he knows every thought and every emotion and every frustration and every difficulty you face. Every one of them. Christ lived on this earth and was tempted in all points like as we are. And he learned how? By the things that he suffered. We are in a learning process here. And proper learning and understanding does not come without pain, without suffering. Children do not learn to obey their parents without pain and suffering, applied in various ways, whether it's denial of things they want, or tanning their hide, or whatever it takes. It is through pain or deprivation the people learn. It is not generally by blessing. It is not generally by good things, because when good things happen and blessings occur, we tend to take God who gave them for granted and forget him. That is the history of Israel, and it is the history of the world. The time we turn to God is when we have difficulty, problems, things denied us, and suffering. Then is when we turn to God. It's unfortunate, but it's true. It has always been so. And as long as we're in this human state, it will remain so. I'm sorry to tell you that, but that's just the way it is. And there's no getting out of it. Since mankind turn from God, and listen to Satan, it has been that way. And it is going to take the great tribulation, the seven last plagues, and the destruction of almost all flesh for mankind to learn any different. That's what it's going to take for this world to begin to humble itself and to begin to seek God. Now, the troubles that we face in the meantime may not be small to us, but they're small by comparison to what the world is going to have to go through to teach it that they need to see God and listen to God. So, always understand when you pray to God that he knows your problem better than you do. And he knows how he is working to handle it and to teach you what he wants you to know. And right now, he has blown the church apart because we were being blessed in many respects and had much in our fine church houses and homes and um, house for God and administrative buildings and colleges and all those things we had. And he simply took them away. Because we were not spiritually what we should be and we're taking him for granted. Now, if we want God's blessing again, we have to come to him in thanksgiving. We have to be very caring. We have to be very uh, animated, very dedicated, very convicted in our relationship with God. We have to put him first in every way. And then he will turn his face back to us and bless us And some of the things that we thought we were missing are going to be given us again. There is a period of time here that God has given us space to repent, space to seek Him, space to put Him first instead of our own emotional and human needs. And it is not an easy thing to do, and look at how much the church is going through in order for that to be accomplished. And only 10%, even at that, are going to do what God wants done. What can I say, brethren? What can I say? Can I make it easy for us? I can't. I'd love to make it easy for us. I'd love to give you a simple one, two, three answer, and bingo, everything would be just right. You know, there's all kinds of stories about the genie in the bottle and all this, about how you make a wish, and boing, there it is. Everything's happy. That's not the way life is. Now let your supplication with thanksgiving, wholeheartedness and worship of God, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Emmanuel. If we put God first, we will achieve the peace of God. Now, the single state or the married state does not naturally carry peace and happiness and joy in life. It is the fruit of God's Spirit that gives peace and joy and happiness. So if you seek it in any other way, thinking that a relationship with another human being on this earth, a physical relationship, is going to solve that, you got another thing coming. Because you're gonna find yourself married and you're gonna find yourself still, still selfish and still wanting things. Well, I know if you're single, Never been married. You find that hard to believe. These married people I'm looking at today didn't come here because they were full of peace, joy, happiness, love, and all the great things. They came here because they're seeking God and they're trying to find the kind of peace that only God can give. So, it doesn't matter. Seeking God and having the peace of Christ in us is the only way to happiness. That the world is about to learn the hard way, and you're going through a period of time where you have the opportunity to learn it now and maybe miss, I hope, what the world is going through or is about to go through. Well, it's already started. It's getting worse day by day. Finally, brethren, verse 8, whatsoever things are true... Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now it's easy to think on me and what I don't have and what I want and what my frustrations are, and the feelings in my mind and body, and all those things that human beings go through. They're real. I know that. But thinking on them, and focusing on them, and being frustrated over them, only makes you miserable, selfish, and unhappy, is what it does. That's the, produ- that's the fruit that is produced. So he, thinks, he says you've got to think above that. You've got to force your mind to think on the things of God and the things that are good and pure and right and lovely and so on. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, Paul says, and the God of peace shall be with you. If you want to find peace of mind, you have to find it in God. That's the only place it exists. But I rejoiced in the eternal greatly, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. They had done some things for Paul, and he said he appreciated that and and that it was a good thing. And he says, but I'm not speaking of things that I want or need. He goes on to explain. He says, I appreciate what you've done for me, and they were good. Paul was a single man too, Remember? Not that I speak in respect of want. I don't want anything from you, he says, for I have learned. This was not something automatic. This was not something that he just happened to have a good attitude all the time. Remember, Paul had problems. Paul said the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. He sounded like one of us. He said he was a wretched man. He had his frustrations. He said, oh, woe is me. So Paul could get in some attitudes, believe me. He said so. So it must have been true. But he said, I have learned. So it's a process, is what I'm pointing out here. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Whatever circumstance God puts me in, I have learned to be thankful, peaceful, and content. Now we're talking about a man here who had been stoned three times, had been shipwrecked, had been snake bit, had been spit on, had been denounced in public, had been persecuted, and for all intents, intents and purposes killed several times, left to die, but survived. He was in bad weather with very little clothes. He was in storms and wet and cold. He went through all kinds of problems. And he said, it didn't matter where I am, what circumstance I'm in, I have learned to be content. Now, how did he do that? You're laying there with blood coming out your body, having been stoned. It doesn't sound like a very contented place to be, or in the middle of a shipwreck. But he knew that through his dedication to God, and to God's way, that God had his best interests in mind, and that if God wanted him stoned or shipwrecked or snake-bit, that's okay. I have learned to live with that. He goes on to say, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Now, as I said earlier, it's one thing to be abased. This whole world is about to be abased. To learn to look to him who can bless. But he also had to learn how to abound. We sometimes cannot take prosperity. Everybody wants to prosper in every way, but prosperity is what turns us to prosperity and away from God. Because we look to the things that are physical, that seem prosperous to us, whether it be a happy family or a bank account or whatever it might be, even health. He had learned to be content with bad health. It is what it is. I will deal with it day by day. Our health, our wealth, our emotional happiness is what we as human beings look to, isn't it, for the most part? He says, get your minds on things that are above and the physical will take care of itself. But if you don't get your your mind on the things above, the physical is just going to get worse and worse for you. Did you hear what I said? If you don't get your things, mind on the things above, your physical circumstances will get worse and worse and worse. Because the church to date, the vast majority of it, has not repented of what God caused us to be spewed out. As a result, it gets worse and worse, and the churches divide more and more. And the spiritual condition and the physical circumstances will get direr and direr until most of the church goes into great tribulation, and most therein will die violently. That's where the church is going because the church will not get their minds on the things that are above. I know this is probably not your most fun sermon, nor was last week, married or unmarried. But let's understand that the answer to our deepest longings lies in serving God, not ourselves and our bodies and our emotions at least physically. In him is peace and contentment. So Paul had learned to handle it either way. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. God was putting him through all the ups and downs of all kinds of Problems, all kinds of difficulties, and even blessings at times to teach him that no matter what conditions around him were, he would abound in God. I am, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. In other words, I can handle prosperity and blessing without forgetting God, and I can handle stoning and shipwrecking and living single, and anything else in God, because that's what his true focus was. So this is a hard answer, I know. I'd love to tell you that there's 14 busloads of single people of all ages going to show up here right after this sermon, and it's going to be Sadie Hawkins Day. I'd I'd love to be able to announce that, but I really doubt we could handle it. Besides that, how do you know they might not all jump off the bus, look at each other and say, I think we'll just marry who we got here. Why go in there? I'm joking. No, we are in a circumstance that we brought upon ourselves and for young single people that your parents brought upon you by not being close to God. And as our parents turn to God... And we see that example, maybe we can ourselves do that and come to find peace and contentment in the things of God. He has great blessings. He has great opportunities ahead for us. If we will put him first. You're already frustrated now. What's to lose? (laughs) Go ahead and put God first. Be protected. And maybe there will be opportunity later. He knows what he has in store. Well, that kind of gets me into where I wanted to go today anyway. Uh, Understand that God, and specifically Christ we're saying here now, has had a lot of woman trouble. You know, Christ married Israel, And she just was not content. What did he do wrong? He was the best husband you could possibly ask for. He gave her everything she needed. He said, I'll I'll do anything for you. All you have to do is what I say. And my commandments are not grievous. They're good things. They'll make your life peaceful and happier if you'll obey them. They'll make you frustrated if you don't obey them. You'll get yourself into all kinds of emotional difficulties and and dire circumstances and even physical death if you disobey my laws. But Israel, though she said, oh yes, I want to marry you, I'll do anything you say. Then she did everything just the opposite, and almost immediately. She was not ready to settle down and be the wife of Christ. The wife of the world, queen of the earth. She wanted to do things her way. She wanted to find her own lovers. And she did. And it ended up in a very messy divorce. Ezekiel 16 is written about the great whore Israel, who sought everybody but her own husband. We know that. I'm not going to go back and review all that, but I want to get us at least a thumbnail sketch. We've heard it many times over, I know. But we're here to be what? We're here to learn, learn to be the queen of the whole earth. The wife of Christ and the mother of all God's children. And to have a wonderful family life fruitful, happy, peaceful, no war, no fighting, no sibling rivalry, all those things that human families experience today will not be there. Now this is a process that is going on. It's a process that started with Adam and Eve, and they almost immediately listened to a different lover, to Satan. Satan. He had great influence there in the Garden of Eden. These people had literally walked and talked with God Almighty. And Satan came along, and just like that, what he had to offer seemed so bright and shining and exciting that they wanted it. And they took it, just candy from a baby. They submitted to Satan so quickly, so easily, and you know what? It's been that way ever since. You look out at this world and all the pain and misery that is there from misuse of drugs and alcohol and tobacco and sex and uh, power and money and wealth. Any and everything is so polluted and misused and abused that the world is a miserable, unhappy, warring, fighting, greedy, doggy-dog place. It's not a fun place. This nation is getting to where it's not a fun place. It's changing rapidly. All those things that people think will make them happy do not. They do not. So what's wrong? Let's go back to 1 Samuel 15, 23. Here we had a man who, I guess you could say, pretty much had it all. He was taller by head and shoulders above every other man in Israel. He was good-looking. He was noble. He had everything you could possibly want as a human being. And yet, he would not do what God said. His name was Saul. He was the king that the whole tribes of Israel wanted because he just seemed to have it all. Oh, we want him to be our king. He is so wonderful. Let him be our king. God said, all right, you want a king? You want that king? Go for it. You want this world? You want what's out there in it? Go for it. You want to end up like they are? Go for it. What about the parable of the unprofitable, or not the unprofitable, the, that's uh, um, the word I'm looking for, the son. The what? Prodigal son, that's the word. Even my ears are bad. I think my mind's bad. My ears do. Story of the prodigal son. See, I don't have to tell it. You already know it. His dad said, you want to go that way? Here. Here's your inheritance. Go for it. He went through all the wine, women, and song. Wound up eating with the pigs. Decided, man, I think I better go home. And when he did, his dad welcomed him with open arms Hope you've learned, son. The rest of the inheritance is still your brother's. You don't get it. You spent yours. But you can come back and be part of the family. <coughs> There's a fellow that had to learn the hard way. Well, oh, God says that. Okay, world, go out and learn. And the world did. God divorced Israel, said, if you don't want to be my wife? Go for it. Go out there. Do your thing. And they did. Look at us now as a nation, as a people. Let's go to verse 22 of 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel said, Has the eternal as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the eternal? Do you really think that cutting a Sheep's throat and letting it die is something that pleases God. He didn't even talk about sacrificing animals when they came out of Egypt. It was disobedience that caused all those animals to have to die. Jeremiah 7.22 tells you that. I just wanted you to do what I said and you would have been happy and I would have blessed you and everything would have been good. But you did it your way. You partied as soon as, I mean, while the Ten Commandments were being given, you partied. It was in your system, and you just didn't seem to be able to get it out and control it and channel your minds in the way that you said you would. They, they made a mess. They just screwed up everything God gave them and promised them. behold. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. To listen to God, to hear what he says, and to obey him is what's important. That's what's going to ultimately bring you peace and happiness, even though you might think for the moment as a human being that there's other things out here that will make me happy. How many people who are on top of it in the world are happy? Look at Hollywood. These young people go there. Boy, they see the bright lights. They see the cameras. They see the movies. They want to be there. So they become starlets and stars. They get seen on the silver screen. They get all kinds of money. And most of them wind up on drugs, on alcohol and are checking in and out of rehab centers. They need swinging doors, not doors that lock. They come in and out so often. It's becoming a plague. All these young stars, whether it be in music or in movies or what, TV, it doesn't matter, that glittering, exciting life, and they end up blowing their minds Because they're frustrated and discontent and all that fame and fortune, wealth, and do anything I want to do, destroyed them. That's the state of things. People think, if I just had this, if I just had that, and then they get it, and then they want something else, and then they want something else. And first thing you know, they head down that road to ruin. It's happening all over the country. And not just to those, I use them as an example because they're in the news. But it's right down in the streets around us as well. If you actually start talking to people here and there about what's going on in their families, it's a nightmare. It's better to obey God. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft when we rebel against God's ways and His laws, he says it's just like demonism. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. He talks about Israel being like a a backsliding heifer. Plants all four feet, will not lead. Some of you have had animals. If you have one that's not broke to lead... They rear back, they pull back, they'll choke themselves to death before they'll follow you. It's not a pleasant experience trying to lead an animal that's not broke to lead. They'll fight you. Aggravating. But if you get one that's compliant and willing and realizes that when you tug on the rope, it follows, it doesn't get choked half to death, and things in life go better. It's compliant, it's willing, it understands. And people are the same way. When we tug against what God would have us do, we're going to choke ourselves to death. We're going to make our lives miserable. We're going to ruin our lives. But if we will follow what he says, there is nothing but peace, contentment, happiness, and beauty ahead for us even though the process may be difficult. Teaching the animal to lead in a patient way is difficult because it's natural for them to rear back against pressure. And when we receive pressure, we rear back too. We have to learn to be led the right way. It's easy to be led the wrong way. That's really easy. It comes easy. Stubbornness is his iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the eternal, he has also rejected you from being king. So God has offered for us to be kings of the universe, kings and priests. He's offered us the job of being queen to Christ, the king of kings and lord of lords. And if we pull back against that, we'll simply be rejected from that opportunity. That's all. And we'll die. Because God will not have rebellion and stubbornness and all those things in his wife. He had a stubborn, rebellious wife, Israel. And it wound up in divorce. This time it will not be so. This time we will do it his way or we will simply not be there. He married the whole nation of Israel. All of them. They all said they'd obey. And then they all went the other way, with a few notable exceptions. What's it going to be with us? God is offering us everything that we could ever have wanted. If we focus on the now and just how I feel and what I want at the moment, we're going to make ourselves miserable. And if somebody tells us not to be that way, then we even get more miserable, and we don't like them for saying it either. Hey, these words of God here to help us sort these things out so that we might truly find happiness rather than finding the misery that the world has had as they seek happiness. It doesn't remain happy. It just doesn't. Now, here are things that were written by human beings who experienced them and which God recorded for us to read today. Proverbs 19 and verse 13. A foolish man is the calamity of his father, or a foolish son is the calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. We read something similar to this recently, like rain dripping all day long or on your forehead. So a son who just won't listen, is foolish, Like the prodigal son. That's a calamity. Now, Christ does not want to live with a contentious wife. He did it once. He got rid of her. He is not going to go there again. Are we contentious? Do we nag about what we want and our desires and our feelings? Now, he knows what is best for us. He knows whether, at the moment, we need to be abased or be abounding. He knows how to get us from where we are to prepared to be the bride of Christ. He knows how to do that. And he's working on it. And what we have to go through to get us there is not always pleasant. In fact, it's rarely pleasant. Pleasant truth be told, because we as human beings are so rebellious and we like Satan's way so much by nature. We're an easy target. What did Christ tell Peter? Satan is just going to sift you like wheat. You haven't got it, Peter. You can't stand against him. Now through the Spirit of God, which came later, and overcoming and growing, Peter came to be a strong man. But it didn't come easy. He wasn't that way. He doesn't want that kind of woman to live with forevermore. Have we gotten where we don't gripe and complain and groan and carry on in our lives today, toward each other, toward the church, toward God? Or do we still nag and whine and complain? He doesn't like to hear that. It bothers him. He doesn't want to live with that. Chapter 21, verse 9. It is better. Now, it is better is how this starts. It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop, up in the corner of the attic, all by yourself, is implied, than with a brawling woman in a very large mansion. If things are not right, it's better to live by yourself in a little cubby hole in the attic than with a brawling woman in a McMansion. Christ does not want to live his eternal life out with a brawling woman in the New Jerusalem. He wants her to be compliant, respectful, gentle, loving, helpful, serving, giving. All those things that make for a person we might admire, but the thing that we have trouble doing because we are selfish to the core so often. Chapter 25, verse 24. It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman and in a wide house. Why did he write that again exactly the same way? He must have been writing Proverbs and some woman kept talking to him. I don't know. Solomon wrote some of these. David wrote some of them, I guess, but, and a few others. But Solomon wrote many of them. He had lots of nagging women. Proverbs 21. Verse 19, it is better to dwell in the wilderness, out in the desert, out away from people, than with a contentious and an angry woman. God wrote these things because he wants us, as prospective brides of Christ, not to be that way. Now, what did the church devolve into? It devolved from a woman who was fairly attentive, had her first love, into one that, eh, whatever, lackadaisical, uncaring for the most part, not on fire. And then when blown apart, became nagging and contentious, and why won't you bless us, and why don't you do this, and why are these things this way and why did we lose everything we had and complaining about the ministry and complaining about what God did ultimately and just in a nasty, nagging, complaining, bitter unhappy mood and way of thinking. That's what we became. Now I hope that we are rising above that. We're putting it behind in the privation, trouble, stress, Difficulties and problems we're going through are helping us begin to turn to God, begin to be thankful, begin to count our blessings, and to be on fire instead of lay it aside and eh, whatever. If a little rain did start causing us to miss services, then we're going to be split again and we're going to have problems again, and all our blessings will be taken away because we were not on fire for the things of God and let little physical things get in our way of the relationship that we should and need to have with God. If we let ourselves, at this point, be turned away from seeking God above any and everything on this earth, including possibilities of marriage, we are going to lose the blessings that God has given us. I will guarantee you that, brethren. We are no different than any other group of God's people on this earth, except that we have been blessed with a lot of knowledge that some of them do not yet have. And if in the face of the blessing of some understandings we have, we let ourselves be distracted by anything from seeking God with our whole heart, we too will splinter and die spiritually and go into the tribulation like 90% of the church will. If that's what it takes to get us on fire for God, we will go there like everyone else. I kid you not. This is serious business. Do you think Paul was in a popularity contest when he wrote 1 Corinthians 7? He knew that would upset some people. But he knew where people's focus needed to be if they wanted ultimately to end up happy. Paul did not always write popular things. Have you noticed that? Sometimes he'd get on you, on them. He got them pretty pretty hard at times. He did not want to see them throw away what they had been given and go back to wallow with the pigs. Christ wants an attentive, caring, loving, excited wife. That's what he's seeking. Those who want to live his way and want to bring his way of life to the earth may say, well, we don't have much focus, not much direction right now. Maybe we don't in some ways. But we need to be focusing on being prepared as a bride and a wife for Christ and doing the things that a wife of Christ will do in the millennium." Because he wants you and me to set an example for this world that he can set up on a hill that will not be hid to show the happiness and joy and blessing that serving God with your whole heart brings. That's what he's got you and me here to do. And if we get sidetracked on our own physical, personal goals and purposes... We'll miss out, and I don't want that for me, I don't want it for you, for any of us. I want us to succeed in what we came here to do. Now yes, there are physical things we have to go through. We have to shower and we have to dress and we have to shave and we have to do our hair and we have to eat and we have to do a lot of things as human beings. We have to work for a living. We have to do a lot of things. But how we do those things is very important. Are they to do it God's way? To work the way Christ would work? To give an honest day's work the way Christ would work? To do everything we do, eat, work, sleep, everything we do in life is a reflection of God, and needs to be done in a godly fashion. This is a way of life that we're here to live. Um, Did I read 25? I think I did. Yeah. Proverbs 27, verse 15. A continual dropping in a very rainy day, and a contentious woman are alike. This theme gets sprinkled all the way through here, over and over. Chapter 11, verse 22. As a jewel of gold in a pig's nose, so is a fair woman which is without discretion or departs from discretion, or departs from God. So he says, have you ever seen a pig with a gold ring in its nose? Probably not. But I can't imagine it being much prettier than a pig without one. So if we're a woman, a potential wife, that doesn't have discretion in the way we act, the way we think, the way we conduct our lives... And he says it's like trying to dress up a pig and pass it off as a good-looking woman. It won't happen. Ecclesiastes seven. Well, I can't find Ecclesiastes. There it is. What did I want here? Seven, verse 26 is what I want. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 26. And I find more bitter than death, worse than death, he says. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. He said, being with a woman like that is worse, or I mean death is worse than death. I'd rather die than live with a woman like that, essentially is what he's saying. If you please God, you'll escape from that. Now, we're here to become the Bride of Christ. How do we approach life? Negatively? Positively? groaning, whining, complaining about this, that or the other thing? You know, complaining and negativity is ungodly. It's just ungodly. If we let ourselves get into a whining, grumbling, complaining, negative attitude. That is not what God is looking for. He's looking for what Paul said there in Philippians 4, pure, lovely, of good report, wonderful things. Think on these things. So we, as human beings, often think on the bitter and the nasty and the mean and complaining about the way things are and the way our health is and the way our money is and the way our this is and the way our that is. And the way somebody else is, for sure. So we let ourselves be bitter and angry, frustrated, and frustrated with those around us. Now, is that the way it's going to be in God's kingdom? It's going to be peaceful and contented, and loving, and giving, and sharing. That's the way it's going to be. And we're here today to be a microcosm of that. But we're judgmental. We're condemning. We look for faults in one another. We talk about each other's faults behind our backs. We look for sin. We talk about sin. We gossip, we backstab, we complain, and gripe about each other. That is not the way Christ's family is going to be. And if we are that way, I'll guarantee you we are not going to be there. He had rather die than live with a woman like that. Now, let me show you the love of God a little bit here. There was a woman like that, he divorced. And there was a world like that that turned completely and continually away from God. From Adam and Eve on down until this very day, it has only been a very few individuals out of Billions and billions, tens of billions of people that have lived. Less than, at this point, 144,000 have been willing to serve God with their whole heart. And even those who chose to do so had difficulty accomplishing it. That few. But he so loved every last of those 60 billion, they figure, who have lived so much that he literally did die for them. And he's going to resurrect them, and he's going to teach them love and peace and happiness and contentment before they argued and fought and killed each other and committed adultery and fornication and lied and cheat and stole and... And put everything on earth ahead of God. Everything was an idol, except worshiping God. That's the way mankind's existence has been. It's a sordid story. I'm sorry to have to stand here and rehearse it. Just the way it's been on earth. And God looked at all that and said, "I'm going to send my Son down there, and He's going to show them that a perfect life can be lived, and then He's going to die for them, so that their sins can all be forgiven." And they can live forever in eternal happiness and peace someday when they accept my way. And he has a plan that he's working out whereby that will happen. And only a few are going to be weeping and gnashing their teeth in utter rebellion and have to die. God is a success and he will succeed in saving mankind from Satan and himself. He will do it. All Israel shall be saved, Romans eleven twenty six. 26. Not every individual, but overall, the vast majority will be saved before this is done. Meantime, 90% plus have to die. That's what it will take for them to begin to repent of their rebellion and selfishness and my way and what I want to do it God's way. Why is it we human beings fight it so hard? Well, part of it's Satan. We were patsies for him from the word go. And the world out there is very satanic. Nearly everything it produces is satanic. And it has an attraction to us. Because that's human nature. And he plays on it like a fiddle with every one of us. And it's sad. I was thinking about it a little bit this morning, just sort of going over those thoughts. It's just so sad that this whole world is in such opposition to God. We want to be what does everybody on this earth want? They want to be happy. They want to be secure. They want to have physical blessings. They want to have the good of the earth. They want to have happy families. They want to have good minds. They want to love and be loved. It's pretty simple what people want. And yet, almost everything that people do Leads to unhappiness and misery and suffering and pain in one form or another. So what they want is beyond their grasp. It's elusive. It slips away. What do you want? What do I want? All we want is to be loved and loved. All we want is security and peace, prosperity and happiness. Freedom from misery and suffering and loneliness and selfishness and all the things that we put ourselves through. What the world wants and what we want are exactly the same. It's just that people will not accept that there's only one way that every every one of us wants, there's only one way it can be obtained. That's living God's way. We just won't accept that. We think, wait a minute, this would make me happy. Wait a minute, that would make me happy. No, it won't. Been there, done that, I know better. And so do you. Why are we so stubborn? Why do we want our way so bad, thinking it will make us happy? It won't. God's way is the only way that will make us happy. Keeping his Ten Commandments in letter and in spirit, loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, seeking God and putting him first, is the only thing that produces happy human beings. Contented. Now, he promised ancient Israel, I'll give you a land flowing with milk and honey. I'll give you a land that lacks nothing. Anything you need is in the ground. Iron, brass, the rain will come in due season. You'll have wonderful crops. Everything will work good in your lives if you'll just obey my commandments. And they said, oh, that sounds wonderful. Let me sign up now. So they signed up and said, I'm I'm with this program, boy. I want that life. I want those blessings. But right now I want to go party. And it ended up in misery, frustration, death, destruction, and a very sordid past. And God gave us a new chance here in this land. He brought us back to the original promised land that had everything we could possibly need. And we have besmirched it and befouled it and polluted it and ruined it and given it away and accepted cheap Chinese facsimiles of something good and on and on and on we could go about how we've wrecked this land. And how it is full of lying and thieving at every level, from the top, from the head of the foot to the or the head of the head to the foot, as God put it. It's sick and dying, and yet we still try to cling to some of those ways, that thinking. It is so inculcated is the American way in us, and we don't fully recognize it's Satan's way. It's his world. He rules it. He governs it. He controls it. Essentially, everything that is produced in it is of him. And yet we want it. Why are we so stubborn and so rebellious? It just doesn't compute in our minds that God's way is best. We might accept it, finally, intellectually, but our bodies and our emotions and our feelings take us the other way, thinking we'll find happiness with this, that, or the other thing, whatever it might be, and it won't work out. Now that's why I went to 1 Corinthians 7, and I said, if you think that marriage and having kids now is going to solve your problems, it won't. It won't. It is going to be, in this world around us, impossible to conduct a marriage very shortly, even if you were. There will be no food, there will be no shelter, there will be enemies ready to kill you, to stab you, to pollute you in any way they can. Now, it may seem unfair. It may seem like, well, why did I have to be born now? Ask your daddy and your mama. This had to come at some point. Now, there was a point where things were better in the Garden of Eden. And man messed it up, By flirting with Satan. It's that simple. And we've wanted to flirt with Satan ever since. And it's made the life of people on earth miserable. Every empire that's come has thought they had the answers. And they went down in flames. Greek, Roman, doesn't matter. Israel, we did it our way. God is looking for some people who will do it his way. I wanted to get into a more positive side of this a little bit today, but I think we need to to look at this and look at the history of the world and look at the history of Israel and more recently look at the history of the church. And that in every age, we have chosen to go against God's rules, his ways, that produce happiness, peace, and contentment and do it our way. And every human being has his own idea of what he thinks that way should be. What'll make me happy? And it won't if you go there and do that. It just won't. Maybe you need to study history a little bit if you don't believe that. Study the history in, in the Bible. For God is recorded of all the messes that people got themselves in by going their way. You can read it in the history of the world, you can read it in the history of Israel and of man in the Bible. It's the same, either place. We've just messed it up. Now I challenge us to do it differently. To go against history. To, to go against the prevailing circumstance in the world. To quit being selfish and nagging and complaining and gossiping and judging and condemning and looking for faults and sins and start uplifting and helping and encouraging and strengthening each other and creating Philippians 4, 9, 10, that Paul described. Pure and honest and good and right and wholesome. He's looking for that. That's the kind of woman he wants. He doesn't want what he's had in the past. He wants us to be different. Thankful. Helpful. serving. Giving, loving, encouraging. Now I hope today has not made you discouraged. I hope today has given us a pretty bleak outlook or back look at what has occurred in the past and underline the need to do it differently. To be the kind of people that the world could look to and say, Boy, I want what they've got. I want what they've got. It's producing happiness and peace and contentment. People in this world look at Hollywood and say, I want what they've got. What do you want? Be in the Betty Ford Center? What do you want? Hang yourself? What do you want? Five marriages? What do you want? Kids that don't know who their parents are? What do you want? Hollywood brats? Not really. It's just that the glitter and the glamour is enticing and you think that that makes people happy. No, it doesn't. It ruins their lives. And it's not in Hollywood, it's in every street America that this stuff is going on. And it's producing unhappy, frustrated, diseased, and dead people, and the ones that are alive aren't very happy, and they try to keep a stiff upper lip around the Christmas season, and how wonderful and cheery life is, and the most violent, argumentative, mean, nasty night of the year and day of the year is Christmas Day. More family fights, more homicides, (laughs) more problems than any other day of the year the time of peace, happiness, and good cheer, and a happy new year, along with the Merry Christmas that went before it, isn't so happy and merry. What are we going to do? Christ is looking for one good woman. Where's he going to find her? Where will he find her? Bangkok? Cape Town? Haiti? America? Where will he find a good woman that will be thankful and happy and joyous, serving, giving, loving, encouraging, strengthening? And he can see by the way she treats each other, but that's the woman he wants. He says, the way you treat each other is how I will judge you, and I was the one that was naked and blind and in need and needed encouraging and help and so on. You didn't do that with each other, therefore you didn't do it to me. But those of you who did (coughs) were doing it to me. That's the one he's looking for. Whoever heard of Cain Beds, Arizona, do you think he could possibly find her here? Make it happen.